0: It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. moment. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Miked Up. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. And for those who don't know, Miked Up is an unapologetic, low-country-based podcast from the Charleston Activist Network. And I'm super excited to be here. Um, for those of you who follow me on other platforms, welcome. Hopefully you are tuning in. If you are uh, part of my Twitch fam, welcome. Welcome to this space. Um, as many of you may know, I'm taking a break from Twitch I love live streaming more than you guys could ever realize however if you've been watching consistently over the past couple of weeks um, I've endured a number of tech glitches and it's just time the universe is just saying yo sis take some time regroup figure out things with your team and uh, that's what I'm deciding to do so um Today, what I want to do is hop back into the routine, a routine that quite honestly started about a year ago that I have, of course, I've I've strayed away from. <laughs> um, basically, uh, if you can recall, uh, at the onset of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, uh, I reached out to the management team at home radio, the station where I used to have a weekly show. Um, and I reached out to them and said, Hey, I'd love to do a live update to keep people abreast about COVID-19 about, you know, infection rates, uh, you know, news coming out of Columbia, all of that. Right. Uh, and I was successful in this, this, the radio studio supported me in creating a daily digest, if you will, um, a daily breakdown of all the pertinent news and information um, from, yes, from the state capital level, but also with the focus on the low country. Now, while I'm not going to do that. Right. And um, we're hopefully we're we're. Getting to the point where COVID is looking like less of a, I guess, a hindrance or less of, uh, and has less of an impact on our daily daily lives, right? I'm saying this literally with my hands in a praying, (laughs) in the praying position. Um, I'm really hoping that uh, COVID does Hurry up and get into our rearview mirror very soon, um, and so um, I don't feel compelled to give that many COVID nineteen updates um, outside of maybe perhaps laws and policies that have been repealed, uh, reopenings, uh, schools transitioning from perhaps distance learning to, to more in person options, things like that. Um, but what the what the show will be until we resume Twitch, what I what I hope to do is bring you some of the the um the flavor (laughs) of the twitch streams which is i i love sharing my screen i love opening our daily newspaper whether it be through the charleston county library system or just using my subscriptions to publications. I love opening the paper and trying to kind of breaking it down for you all. So that's what I'm aiming to do here. Um, But it'll be in a more concise fashion. Um, Twitch is an hour to an hour and a half uh, every morning from 730 uh, to, to about, Eight thirty, nine o'clock. So this here is going to be a quicker, more condensed version of things I think you should know, headlines and um, other just just breaking news, perhaps things that broke overnight. Um, So the aim is to try to do this Monday through Friday uh, in in a similar fashion as as the Twitch live stream. But of course, and like I just mentioned, uh, similar to what I did last year at the onset of the pandemic. All right. So that's some housekeeping. Let's get into it. I'm going to play this clip for you right here. And um, everything that I'm going to discuss, not everything, well, most of what I'm going to discuss comes from today's front page of the Post and Courier. So for those who don't know, it is March. March. No, it's not. It's May. (laughs) It's May 7th. Um, Friday, May 7th. I wish it was March. (laughs) Um, It's Friday, May 7th. And here's uh, one story from the headlines uh, that I need you to, to hear more about. We're gonna link up with our our TV news partners right here for this one, okay? Tune in. Open carry one step closer to being legal in South Carolina tonight. The state Senate passed a third reading of the proposal that would allow concealed weapons permit holders to openly carry their guns. The bill now heads back to the state house after senators made some changes. Okay, so that news clip came courtesy of WCBD, our Channel Two News, of, uh, NBC News affiliate here in Charleston, in the Low Country, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and flip to the front page of the Post and Courier to just read a little bit more of that story regarding the um, yeah open carry laws. And, 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 you know, what struck me about this headline, what made it so important for me to share on this podcast is that, uh, you know, I moved here, uh, I relocated back here to Charleston, not too long before the mother Emanuel, um, shooting and the Walter Scott murder by, uh, the hands of, of, of former officer Slager. But I, I moved here and those two incidents are important. Um, I moved here and, and I was, Not only was I greeted with the violence that was the Dylan Roof Massacre at Mother Emanuel, um, I also was confronted with a very stark reality, um, and I I had no clue. I had no awareness that South Carolina uh, was consistently at that time consistently topping um, the list of uh, women dying at the hands of a partner, um, domestic violence lists, right? We were we were consistently at the top 10, in the top 10 um, of states where women died at the hands of a partner. And a lot of those incidences, a lot of those murders involved guns, right? Of course, weapons, but guns specifically. And so understanding that I think quite recently, I think this year, uh, 2020, I believe, 2020 was the first time since 1996 that South Carolina is not ranked in the top ten for the most uh, for most women killed by domestic violence for the first time since 1996. This um, issue was such an epidemic that the Post and Courier uh, created a um, a Pulitzer Prize winning um, I say I guess it was a series of stories and reporting about this, and so back now, what year was that, the Post and Courier won their, yeah, they won it in 2015. They won a a Pulitzer Prize for Public Service because of their coverage of this, what I would call an epidemic, um, an epidemic of violence uh, against women or feminine presenting people. So just knowing this this state's history of violence, knowing um, what transpired at Mother Emanuel five years ago, and yet our lawmakers or our, our, our those who are in power are still, you know, dead set, dead set on um, enacting regressive policies. And I just mentioned that I was going to read from the story. Let me go ahead and do that now. So the headline from The Post and Courier uh, reads, and this story was written by uh, Jamie Lovegrove, trained SE gun owners will likely soon be able to carry openly after Senate approves bill. Trained South Carolina gun owners will likely soon be able to carry pistols openly in public after the first Senate fast-tracked, prioritized, and ultimately approved a bill to expand the rights of concealed weapons permit holders. After multiple days of debate, the Senate voted 28 to 16 late the evening of May 6th in favor of the bill, right? It goes on to say that they rejected attempts by some conservative Republicans to transform it into a more expansive bill known by supporters as constitutional carry. Um, I'm just going to pause right there and say that's some really specific messaging. Uh, To let all legal, pardon me, to let all legal gun owners carry openly without a permit. And now that's where I'll stop the story. That's where I... Um, last saw the debate was that they wanted to remove as many restrictions as possible um, to just give people unfettered access to these guns. And th- again, this is a time where we haven't yet, even though there's hope, to close the Charleston loophole um, after a rash of mass shootings that quite honestly hasn't haven't stopped. Um, we've seen this nationwide, these mass shootings um, just yesterday in Columbia, um, a soldier from Fort Jackson hijacked a school bus with with a, a weapon, with a gun. Um, you know, we, we have a problem with gun violence in this country, and we have a big, big problem with it here in southern states uh, like South Carolina. And, and we see who it impacts the most. It impacts folks pushed on the margins or folks who just aren't always the top consideration. Um, so... Just wanted to keep you up on that. Make sure you use your library card to access the Post and Courier or the state newspaper to follow any news um, about this story. But also, I encourage you to always, as always, support your local news stations like WCBD, um, like also Live Five News. Uh, we know that our ABC News affiliate here in the Low Country is a Sinclair station, so you have to be mindful of that if you do choose to consume news from that station. There may be some must runs and some other political propaganda that uh, makes it makes its way to our local broadcast. So just keep that in mind. But please make sure you you follow the story. The next story um, I wanted to cover. Well, again, I'm going to start off with a clip and then I'll come back on the other side and either read more about it or share my thoughts about it as well. Well, tonight, the governor says the state will stop taking part in federal programs, giving extra cash to the unemployed amid the pandemic. Unemployed workers are going to be losing that extra $300 a week that was scheduled to run through early September. State leaders say the federal payments are helping to create what they call a labor shortage. The governor is also ending federal emergency unemployment relief for nonprofit organizations. Meanwhile, new unemployment numbers tonight show over 2,800 claims were filed last week. That's a decrease of nearly 200 claims compared to the week before. Since the pandemic started, more than 889,000 unemployment claims have been filed statewide. You know, uh, that's so hard to hear, knowing that people, really in this state especially, need to catch up. You know, this state is uniquely um, anti-labor anti-worker and so we live in a state that um where the governor and and past governors especially I'm going to speak to the governors that I've become more acquainted with in my adult life so that'll be Nikki Haley and of course our current governor Henry McMaster um both of these governors have drawn a line in the sand so to speak when it comes to uh being anti-union and pro-business pro pro you know courting businesses to come here uh courting these manufacturers to to come here and set up shop but also being extraordinarily anti anti anti-labor anti-union right um and so i'm going to hop over emily williams from the post and courier she actually wrote uh locally um for the post and courier uh, she wrote uh, the story about it and so i'm going to read a little bit from it Maybe the first couple of paragraphs uh, similar to the Jamie Lovegrove story, but it simply says citing worker shortages in the state. Governor Henry McMaster has asked that South Carolina stop participating in all federal pandemic related unemployment programs, including weekly three hundred dollar payments that aren't set to expire for several months. Wow there's a lot of people who are, who are counting on that payment for sure. I'm, I'm just pausing right now. I'm not reading. Um, but I can imagine how many families were playing catch up, you know, because there were times where folks didn't receive consistent payments for a number of reasons. Um, call, I remember reporting, you know, what I guess I would say I was reporting, or I, at least I was um, revisiting reporting from local news outlets uh, that talked about and covered folks trying to get assistance, but not being able to get through initially the, the um, backlogs and the perhaps sites crashing and people trying to get answers and calling hotline numbers and being on hold sometimes in upwards of an hour or so just to get answers and clarity uh, on, on when they would receive some sort of financial relief and to see our governor again, like with Medicaid, just turn away and, and refuse free money. Um, money that would go toward helping people get back on their feet. But we see this not only with the Medicaid expansion uh, refusal, right, the, the his refusal to expand Medicaid. We also saw him and Seema Verma. Ugh. Check out previous episodes of Mic'd Up about that. Um, but we saw them uh, saw those two uh, 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 an official with the within the Trump administration, Seema Verma uh, also. Enact um, job requirements to receive some benefits regarding, um, you know, food assistance and whatnot. And it just really, it really um, breaks my heart to know that we have a governor that's so hell bent on making sure the working class folks. This and this is this is, this state is not. Maybe our coffers in Columbia are full. Maybe we have a surplus there. But I, I assure you, and especially looking at some of these rural pockets, a lot of people aren't feeling it. They're not flush with cash coming out of a pandemic. I'll go on to read the next paragraph that Emily wrote, Uh, the extra payments, new jobless benefit programs, and extended timelines to receive the aid were started as lifelines for millions of Americans put out of a job due to COVID-19. Now McMaster is arguing that the enhanced benefits are contributing to a lack of applicants for open work spots, especially in the hospitality sector. Again, I'm going to stop here. And this also lets you see where McMaster, and since the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I I was very vocal about this. He's interested in tourism coming back, right? And so instead of being more precise with perhaps being aggressive, I don't know if this even makes sense, but instead of him being more precise with trying to um, incentivize workers. Right. Yeah. Like, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Instead of creating an incentive for workers to return to hospitality so you can bolster your tourism areas your tourism cities and whatnot instead of creating incentives he uses pain and he uses he uses deprive like depriving folks of funds as as the incentive and i just want you to know this uh, as someone who facilitates and um uh who teaches and trains people uh to uh, to look closely at things like capitalism and the the most severe Form of capitalism takes place right here in the United States, and it's no surprise that capitalism was born on the slave plantations. That's not hyperbole. That's actually a fact. Right. Um, As authors like Edward Baptist have taught us, um, you know, capitalism was born. Uh, through a black woman's body, right, quite literally, and born on a plantation. And why am I bringing that up? I'm bringing that up because um, there were certain incentives created during the time of enslavement, Uh, certain incentives, whether it be quite literally violence and brutality, but there was also uh, incentives to make uh, the enslaved workforce to make them more productive. They do things similar to what this governor is doing in terms of taking away things, uh, prohibiting certain activities. Uh, just just this whole refusal to assist people to to ration out any type of assistance in very meager amounts. This is really in a in a tradition of that type of leadership here in the South. And I really do want people to understand and draw that line, make that correlation between what we're seeing now, McMaster's um, commitment to refusing to expand Medicaid. So, um, you know, making we have, what, four rural hospitals closed over the past few years. Um, Health care is an issue here. Fair and livable wages are an issue here. And we just see the the, the governor doubling down. And making sure that his, um, you know, as he runs for reelection, right, making sure that the the base that he's trying to uh, win, making sure that they know that they're not going to accept anything from this Biden administration. And it's to the detriment of his own people. And um, it's really sad to see McMaster put party politics over the health, the welfare the well-being of his constituents. So, super sad. Again, whip out that library card and continue to follow this reporting from Emily Williams or anyone else um, who is writing about this at the state level. Um, give it another look. Um, really sad news. I I got one more clip to play, and um, I'll come back on the other side and we can talk about it. A count on two investigation. LAW ENFORCEMENT AGENCIES ACROSS THE STATE ARE LOOKING FOR HELP. THEY SAY THERE ARE HUNDREDS OF POSITIONS THAT NEED TO BE FILLED. NEWS 2 ANCHOR BRAD FRANCO HAS PART TWO OF HIS INVESTIGATION TONIGHT SHOWING US HOW ONE AGENCY IS BUCKING THE TREND IN ONE OF THE FASTEST GROWING AREAS OF THE LOW COUNTRY. We are understaffed right now um, and we, we've got to make that up. The highway patrol is short hundreds of troopers, impacting their response times and ability to keep speeders in check. Robert Woods, the director of the Department of Public Safety, is hopeful that an extra $6 million he's asked for and a career path plan will help with what he says is the biggest hurdle for them right now, low starting pay. But their plight is one shared by agencies across the state and here in the Lowcountry. Oh gosh, Um, I had to stop it right there. I couldn't listen to any more. The the piece goes on um, a bit longer, quite a bit longer. Uh, this is courtesy of, uh, WCBD channel news Two, Um, and it's interesting. It started off as, um, you heard the, you heard the, the music, right? The intro music for it. It started off as an investigative report and it wasn't really a look. And, and I did, I did listen to the, um, the um the rest of the sound right, uh, but it started off as this like investigative report, and I'm like, what are they investigating? It's just a closer look at p- the police force. And while I don't doubt that the police force is struggling with the staffing issue, I think that that's something that we've seen consistently um, in a lot of places, um, not just here in South Carolina, not just here in the Low Country. I want to just I want to just train your focus on a lot of things that have been happening specifically around the police and their image. Um, What I've noticed is um, our local press corps specifically, well, not even, we just listened to a television news clip, but our our local press corps has been um, very eager to participate in what I think is propaganda propaganda. while I have the utmost respect for so many journalists, um, both uh, in the newsrooms of the Post and Courier, uh, in the newsrooms at, you know, WCBD or Live 5 News and so on and so forth. While I have so much respect for a number of people who work there, um, we have to, to, to really pay close attention to what's going on now. Now, that story. About the shortage. Take that, and I want you to, um, when you use your library card to look at the Post and Courier, take a look at today's front page, right? So, along with Henry McMaster cutting supplemental unemployment aid, right? Below that is this big, big, big story about ripple effect. This is the headline ripple effect building, colon, okay, ripple effect. Colon, building trust one circle at a time. So uh, members of the Charleston Police Department are going to area schools. There's a picture of uh, a cop in a circle with kids from St. John's High School. Um, It's a resource officer, school resource officers. You know how I feel about SROs, y'all. They should not be in schools. We need counselors. We need more resources for these teachers, not more police surveillance, and also not more gun-toting, and I'm using air quotes, public servants in our schools, but St. John's uh, High School uh, recently hosted, I guess, this circle, this talk with students, and it's on the front page, again, of the Post and Courier. They've dedicated not one, but two photos um, of these uh, get-togethers, and I'm going to read a little bit more from it. Students, uh, students, comma Charleston police tackle tough issues through chats, uh, and this is a problem as well. Um, so I'm I'm looking at the coverage, and we're talking about the shortage, and they're talking about increasing the budget and giving them giving cops more resources. Our law enforcement at various levels, whether it's state troopers, whether it's locally here at Charleston PD, whether it's North Charleston PD. They have resources. It's time for us to stop funneling cash to these police officers and they need to do their due diligence to figure out why they're losing their job force, why they can't retain and attract talent. That's their issue. What I'm seeing now is that the media is complicit in making, helping them make that case to us so that we're more sympathetic to them and that we're more, um, uh, I guess, uh, we're more we're, we're more willing to, under, to, to to view their cause as a justified cause and it's not. Um, a lot of the um, if you listen more to that piece from Channel 2 News, you'll hear them talk about how oh this shortage is creating more problems and our responsiveness. You know, a scare tactic, letting you know oh that you're gonna be less safe if there are less cops, um, if we don't have people in place, Nah, forget all that, okay? Um I really want you to 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 make your way over to the ACLU's South Carolina uh our South Carolina branch of the ACLU. I want you to make your way over to their website. Go to ACLUsc.org. Um there you'll see an article from and I'll put this in the show notes actually. I'm going to link this in the show notes of this podcast. It's a piece written by Emily Walter, someone who I I really admire and look up to. Um, she's uh, She's a community organizing advocate with the ACLU, South Carolina. And recently, Emily, along with the People's Budget Coalition, a coalition that I was once a member of, and I have tremendous respect for those who are still fighting that fight over there. But recently, Emily, the ACLU, joined forces with the People's Budget Coalition, and they filed a FOIA request. And if you watched any of my live streams, you understand how important, how critically important it is to continuously pepper our law enforcement with these FOIA requests that they feel that they don't have to respond to or or satisfy. So recently I saw this on social media. People's Budget Coalition posted that they filed a FOIA request request. Uh, for the Charleston Police Department's detailed line item budget. Now, this is critical budget budget information that has yet to be disclosed to the public, right? The taxpaying citizens. I'll read a little bit from Emily's piece, um, again, featured on the ACLU South Carolina website. It says, last fall and again in February 2021, the Charleston's People Budget Coalition called for the public release of a detailed line item budget from the Charleston Police Department. As we approach the summer of 2021, we are still fighting for transparency from one of the largest department budgets in the city. I want to underscore that. I'm going to stop reading from Emily's piece and underscore that last sentence. As we approach the summer of 2021, we are still fighting for transparency from one of the, the largest department budgets in the city, right? In Charleston, spending on law enforcement dramatically outpaces that of community services such as housing, education, violence prevention and other socioeconomic programs out of the 271 million dollars spent by the city of charleston 54 million or about 20 percent is funneled directly to C- to cpd okay 20 percent of our city's budget goes to police all right okay i'm going to resume my reading compare this to the 11 million dollar budget on the department of recreation wow or 1 million dollars, 1 million dollar budget on the Department of Housing and Community Development. Wow, housing only gets 1 million. I I I think she presented these stats to us last uh at the end of 2020, but um it's staggering to see that again. So we paid cops 54 million, parks and rec 11 million, right? And housing And in and, and one of what was once one of the fastest gentrifying cities in the country we only spend a million dollars out of our city budget on housing and development it's staggering again i'm going to link this full um story uh in the uh, notes i'm also going to encourage you to head over to instagram or any other social media platform where you might find the people's budget coalition to keep up to date on their efforts uh, to to fight for transparency uh, again, if you if you follow me, you know me. I'm a broken record. You know, I, I remind you that our law enforcement loves to tout transparency. They love to use that word. Um, during uh, press events yet they never give it to us they never grant us access we're still waiting for the dash cam and the body cam footage to be released from the from the Jason Cooper shooting that took place in December 29th, on on December 29th excuse me on December 29th um, in 2020 we also need from the sheriff's department we need more details more insight and and camera footage from the Jamal Sutherland killing uh, that took place in the jail in the Al Cannon um, detention center, so um, both the Sheriff's Department and CPD have a lot to answer for. You might be asking, well, Tamika, the story, the piece, the audio that I sh- that I, uh, that I used talked about um, state troopers and whatnot. True, but I want us to take a closer look and again watch how this, the 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 local media is complicit in this propaganda. Um, this is not the first front page. Sprawling story uh, that the Post and Courier's uh, Mitch, I believe, Mitch and PJ over there. Um, this is not the first story that they've authorized, and this is this is quite deliberate to cover this and make this such a, a centerpiece when there's so much more to cover uh, coming out of Columbia and also just things happening here. I would argue that the Dawson story you know what the county council decided last night while it is on the front page it's just a, a small little sentence above the masthead. I would argue that that story is, is more is more important than you positioning cops as arbiters of peace in our schools when we know for a fact that cops and SROs don't make our schools safer, they don't make our students safer, and it's a waste of taxpayer dollars. Give the schools what they really need, more resources, uh, more counselors, uh, Give the pay the teachers more, give them, invest in the teachers, invest in the aides that work there, invest in school nurses, provide for our children, stop trying to create this, um, this, this, I guess this urgency around staffing up the police and more police means more safety. And we literally saw two black men from Jason Cooper to Jamal Sutherland, two black men die in the hands of law enforcement following all of the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor protests and unrest that we saw last summer. And no one's up in arms about that and the lack of transparency. If it was a quote unquote, I don't believe in justified shootings, but if it was a justified shooting, air quotes, um, show us, show us the video and shout out to those who are working so diligently um, on the inside who who have shared some information about some of the dealings going on. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, I know that I'm not wrong and I know that there's something going on with uh, some of these officer involved shootings and there's something going on uh, with the city and within our local press corps. Uh, there must be some pressure being applied uh, to turn all of these, these shortages and these job fairs into propaganda and charity events. You know, we, we got to put it into this. So t- pay more attention to the work of groups and organizations like the, the People's Budget Coalition through the um, in, in concert with the ACLU. Pay closer attention to those efforts and less attention to the smoke and mirrors on the front page of the Post and Courier today. OK, you deserve better. Um, And you deserve truth and transparency, and you're not going to get that from cops. Uh, You're going to get that from holding our law, uh, our elected officials accountable, holding people like Scarlett, um, Scarlett Wilson, solicitor, Scarlett Wilson, holding her accountable. Shout out to Quadro Campbell, who's been um, working hard as well uh, to make sure that Scarlett listens to the people. uh, And um, we have to continue to apply pressure and we need justice. We need justice, period. All right. It's not just perfect Black Lives Matter, y'all. All All Black Lives Matter. Okay. All right. So that's my first uh, foray into coming back to what might be, what might be in the interim uh, a daily, a weekday podcast. Um, A little rusty, I admit it, (laughs) but we're going to get it together. Hopefully, uh, you learned something important. I'll link these stories also. I'll link them in the three stories with the uh, not the audio, but I'll link the three stories in the show notes of this episode okay so you can keep up to it but I hope that you see the story okay write down the headline and go ahead and use your library card to access the story (laughs) Um, I really do want you to use the the library system there's so many publications you have access to go ahead and cancel that subscription go ahead I'm about to cancel a bunch a bunch more I've already canceled some but um, I've already canceled a bunch of uh, subscriptions and just use my library card so I encourage you to do the same all right until next time, y'all, y'all, please stay well, stay, stay healthy, stay happy. Thank you for this ride. Thank you for not expecting perfection because this one is not. <laughs> this is not a perfect broadcast. Um, uh, and so I appreciate you for just rocking with me no matter what. Um, so stay happy, stay healthy, stay tuned. I'll be back Monday. But also to my Gullah Geechee folks, to my black people here in Charleston, y'all, stay black.